Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. Here on NANCAST, one of our goals is to share hot topics in neonatology, including new research being led by nurse scientists. On today's episode, we are going to take an in-depth look on how one nurse has made a huge impact on preterm gut health. Nutrition in early life is critical in neonatal growth and long-term outcomes. However, this proves to be a clinical challenge to consistently support optimal infant growth and development. Despite our best efforts to balance fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, as well as balancing caloric intake, some babies still don't grow. Is there another factor that would enhance our current knowledge on how to optimize growth? Studies on metabolism and metabolic disease suggest that infant's gut microbiome directly impacts growth and development. Maturation of the gut microbiome in early life is linked to physiological development with long-term influences on factors that affect infant health. The hope is that by adjusting the calories to both the baby and their microbiome, we can nourish the system in a way that optimizes growth and development of the premature infant. However, there are challenges. Another difficulty to achieve optimal feeding regimens is underdevelopment of the gastrointestinal tract. Of course, optimizing growth and nutrition is pivotal for gut health. Preterm infants are also faced with other challenges. Impaired maturation of the gut microbiome, gastrointestinal tract, and immune system could also have serious health consequences. This could contribute to neck, one of the leading causes of morbidity and mortality in premature infants. Could the microbiome provide evidence pertaining to nutrition as they affect the development of neck in preterm infants? Due to the profound impact nutrition and gut health has to overall outcomes, it is vital that we better understand bacterial colonization in the premature infant gut. One neuroscientist, Dr. Gregory, has dedicated her research and clinical career to improving health outcomes for preterm infants and their families, focusing primarily on GI disease, nutrition, the microbiome, and its role in gut health for these very fragile patients. She is currently the Associate Chief Nurse for Women's and Newborn Health and Research and Innovation at Brigham and Women's Hospital and an Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. She is a Visiting Professor of Nursing at Boston College and the Institute of Health Professions. She is also the Editor of the Journal of Perinatal and Neonatal Nursing. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Gregory to the podcast to share her amazing work on meeting the tough challenges of gut health in these vulnerable infants. Let's get right into it. Hi, Dr. Gregory. Thank you for coming. I appreciate your time to share with us your work. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So your research started with a focus on necrotizing enterocolitis. Can you tell us why you chose that? Yeah, sure. So I started my nursing career um, about 25 years ago in the newborn ICU. I was a newborn ICU nurse um, taking care of preterm babies. And like many NICU nurses, um, found myself in a position, you know, I, I always worked evenings and I would give report at 11 p.m. having taken care of a baby and then come back the next day and find out that the baby who was in my care had had this catastrophic diagnosis of necrotizing enterocolitis and sometimes had even been to the operating room, you know, in the 16 hours that I hadn't been there. And that was really troubling to me because, as we all know, as NICU nurses, neck is this very insidious disease and it presents sometimes with not great warning signs um, and babies become very sick very quickly. 
And so that really led me to want to better understand this disease and what, if any, clues we could learn about that so that we could anticipate it in the babies who we were taking care of. Um, and so then that really like um, spurred my interest in research and led me back to graduate school. Yeah, I know we all can remember those times when we leave. I, too, work night shift, and then you come back the next evening, and, you know, you find out what happened to your, your baby and, you know, already had surgery for, for neck, and it's a little unsettling. So, you know, we need nurses that, you know, want to take their questions further and, and figure out ways that, you know, maybe we could kind of look for risk factors and uh, prevention for some of these things that are happening to our babies uh, every day in the NICU. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the best way to um, to get new tools for our toolbox, which I think we always need as nurses, is through research. So when you decided to focus on NEC, how did you um, begin your early work? Like, what steps did you do to build that research? Yeah, sure. So first and foremost, I knew I needed to get uh, research training. And so this required me to go back to graduate school. I had already been through graduate school once to get a master's. Um, and I, I love that, but I really, in order to do research, needed to get a PhD and, and really get the research training required to be able to ask and answer a question in a rigorous way. Um, and so the focus of my dissertation work was on necrotizing enterocolitis, and that was a great experience, and I, I learned a lot. Um, but that project was really focused more on an epidemiologic-type model, looking for clinical risk factors for the disease. Um, and, and while that was a great training experience, and, and I do think that I was able to highlight some interesting findings about NEC, I knew that for me, I, if I really wanted to um, build on that work, I was going to need, yet again, more training and more mentorship. Um, and I had also had really become interested in overall gut health and intestinal biology. So to do that next stage of work, um, I was very, very fortunate to find a, uh, another crop of mentors um, who could help me, and I was also extremely fortunate to receive uh, what's called a K-23 or a Career Development Award from the National Institutes of Health, and those are um, research, additional research training um, awards that give a scientist time to develop additional skills beyond what they may have been able to accomplish in their dissertation. So I had great mentors here in Boston, um, a pediatric gastroenterologist with expertise in mucosal immunology, a neonatal epidemiologist, uh, um, all different kinds of people in all different kinds of fields who really helped me go to the next level. Um, and that led me to focus on two major things. The first was a need for early markers of neck. And as a NICU nurse, I really wanted these markers um, to be measurable in samples that would not require us to stick a baby. So no NICU nurse wants to collect blood for one more sample. So I really was looking for a biomarker that we could measure in something, quote, non-invasive. Uh, never did I imagine that would mean that I would be collecting thousands of poopy diapers um, <laughs> and urine samples. Um, but it did lead me there, and so I developed uh, several different studies looking at um, markers in urine and stool that may give us a signal that a baby was developing neck. So that was one piece of work. 
And then the second piece was to really learn to focus on um, the bacteria that live in the preterm baby's gut. And this was, gosh, probably like 10 and 12 years ago when all that we know about the intestinal microbiome was still really being developed. And so it was pretty early days in microbiome science, but I was really fortunate to have mentors who helped me to do that work and, again, became known as the poopy diaper nurse in the NICU, um, collected thousands and thousands of diapers um, from babies in a prospective way to see if we could differentiate babies who develop neck from those who don't based on their microbiome. And so now it's been about 10 years, 12 years of me doing this type of work. Our, my lab is a clinical translational science lab, um, and we're working now to put all of these things together, uh, early biomarkers of the disease along with um, patterns of intestinal colonization so that we can try to develop um, a new model for neck, not only that will tell us when the baby may be getting sick, and what may be a therapeutic target to then prevent the disease uh, progression. So can you talk more about the microbiome and how you do these studies and what, what are your methods and, and why you're doing these studies and what kind of things you're looking for? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Um, yeah, so when I started my life as a newborn ICU nurse, if you told me that I would have spent more time with baby poop than the average uh, person, I would have said, you're crazy. Um, but the way that we do these studies um, in our lab is, first and foremost, we need a lot of samples from a lot of babies to be able to answer our questions. And so that means, really, with wonderful collaboration from our NICU nurses, um, we collect thousands of poopy diapers from hundreds of babies, and we take small samples of the fecal material from these diapers, and we categorize them in a very, very specific way. We store them in a freezer at uh, minus 80 degrees C, so they are frozen little poop popsicles. <laughs> um, and then when we want to conduct one of our studies, we have this specimen bank that we go back to. So, for example... We were really interested in understanding um, how nutrition might play a role in the intestinal microbiome of preterm babies. And in order to answer this question, we wanted to find we wanted to study babies who were fed only their own mother's milk, only infant formula, and then babies who were fed donor milk on our donor milk protocol. And so we could go into our specimen repository. We were able to find ten preterm babies all born prior to 32 weeks, who had a diet of just their own mother's milk, a diet of just infant formula, and then kind of a mixed diet using donor milk. So we pull those specimens out of the freezer, and then we go through our methods, which is isolating the DNA from the stool, and we're very focused on the bacterial DNA. So we isolate out that bacterial DNA. We then... Um, what's called PCR the DNA, so we make lots of copies of it, so that we can then sequence the DNA of the bacteria that's present in that stool. Um, and it's all the bacteria that's present in the, in the stool using genomic sequencing. We then work very closely with our colleagues uh, in bioinformatics, and they help us then map the um, genomics of the bacterial species so that we know all the different bacteria that are present in each specimen that we study. 
And then they also help us with the models to understand what bacteria is present at a certain time and how that differs baby to baby, but then also how that bacteria changes over the course or over the life of that preterm baby in the NICU. So we need to compare across times, but then also in a longitudinal manner. And this is actually pretty challenging, um, but again, with wonderful collaborators in bioinformatics, we're able to build those models. Well, that seems like a lot of work, collecting all of those poopy diapers and and making sure that you have samples from all different um, gestations and, and time during uh, the baby's life. But um, why is this so important to collect this stool and monitor it during all stages of life? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you're right. You know, it takes a lot of scientists to answer these questions on the clinical side and on the technical side and then on the informatics side. But the reason we're all so committed to this is because... Um, while the microbiome is likely very important across the lifespan, we think it's uniquely important uh, during early life. So during the perinatal and neonatal period, there's a few things that happen that really only happen once. So for example, you're only born once. You only have one chance to pass through the vaginal canal. That's what I always used to tell my nursing students. <laughs> um, and that has a lot of how you're born likely has a lot of implications for how you acquire your microbiome, the bacteria that you interact with. We also know that the medications that you may be given as a preterm baby, specifically antibiotics, play a big role in the bacteria that colonize uh, your gut. And finally, we know how you're fed early in life has a huge impact on the bacterial species that colonize your gut. And all of this is critically important because these different bacterial species play a very big role in how the infant develops their immune system. And this likely has an impact on neurodevelopmental outcome and immune health across the lifespan. So it sounds like nutrition is especially important. Um, you know, in the NICU, we are giving our babies either donor milk, um, mother's breast milk, um, and sometimes formula. And we know that this affects the babies differently. How are you expanding the work of your lab to incorporate nutrition? Yeah, so nutrition also as a NICU nurse has always been extremely interesting to me. Um, and it was really a natural extension of our work focused on gut health and also the microbiome. We know from lots of studies now that human milk has lots of what we call bioactive factors. So that could be different types of bacteria, different immune cells. Um, and we now also know that human milk has its own microbiome, and we're extremely curious about this. Um, we know that the, the microbiome present in mother's milk is different mom to mom, but we don't really know why that is. Uh, we don't know if it perhaps is related to the mother's diet or perhaps the gestational age at which she delivered her baby. Uh, we don't know if it has something to do with perhaps her BMI or other metabolic uh, states that she's in. But we do think that there may be a clue to overall gut health and the baby's microbiome found in the mother's milk microbiome. And so now 
we are extending very similar methods that we used with our fecal samples to human milk samples. And we've been very, very fortunate here in Boston. Many moms have contributed their milk to our research. And we now have those samples also in a freezer. <laughs> and we are going to we're doing the same thing that we've done in our other studies where we are isolating the bacterial DNA from that human milk. We'll then sequence that with our collaborators and study it in a similar way so that we can understand what the microbiome is at various different points in time over the mom's lactation. We then have, no surprise, all of the baby's um, fecal samples in the freezer along with their urine and blood spots so we can understand how that uh, human milk microbiome may be impacting the baby's inflammatory state in the gut. So we'll study the intestinal microbiome and immune markers, but also what the systemic inflammatory response of the baby may be and how that may differ based on the mom's human milk microbiome. Um, so many, many questions, more questions and answers at this point about human milk. But I'm really excited and really um, thrilled to be able to do this work um, with the support of the National Institute of Nursing Research. Oftentimes we see babies, um, when we start fortifying breast milk, we see them having issues uh, with feeding intolerance. Um, are you accounting for how that affects the inflammatory state in the gut for these babies as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Jill. Um, we know that fortification plays a really important role in nutrition and growth of the preterm infant. And so I almost certainly, you know, feel good about the fact that fortification has a place in feeding a preterm baby. Um, that said, we don't know what, if any, impact that may have on the microbiome and the long-term health of these children. So in this current study, we're very focused on the bioactive factors in the human milk, specifically the microbiome, and we're also interested in the donor milk and what, if any, microbiome exists there. We haven't specifically accounted for how fortification may impact the bioactivity of the human milk, but it's a really good question and something I think we should consider um, as we move to the next stage of this research. NICU nurses are hearing a lot about the new evidence that's emerging on probiotics. I know that there's a lot of controversy around probiotic use in the NICU. Can you tell us why this may be? Yeah, sure. Um, there is definitely a lot of controversy around probiotics. There are some NICUs that are using them, and there are some that aren't. Um, and I think there's, there's definitely a place for what I would call microbial interventions in the NICU. Um, but some of the reluctance that different centers are having with adopting the use of probiotics has to do with things like the studies that have been conducted. Um, while many of these studies are, are good, some are flawed in that they um, were done in patient populations who may not have been at highest risk of an outcome like necrotizing enterocolitis. And so when some of the more recent studies have been done, that have really focused on a patient population who is at high risk for neck, we didn't see as much of a protective effect of the probiotics against the outcome. Some of the other issues that have to do with probiotics is how they're manufactured. Um, and so there have been studies where the there have been contaminants in the probiotic 
um, based on the manufacturing process, which is not under the um, supervision of the FDA. So that's something that has caused different centers to feel reluctant about using probiotics. Um, all that being said, though, I do think there is a future for these in the NICU, um, but there's some things that we need to consider as we bring them into our practice. One thing is that um, probiotics or bacterial species um, need different um, fuel or energy, if you will, to survive. And so some new research is saying that the probiotics that look most promising rely on exposure to things like human milk oligosaccharides to thrive within the gut. So the type of probiotic that is given to the type of baby matters a lot. Um, you wouldn't expect for a bifidobacteria to survive in a gut without exposure, for example, to human milk oligosaccharides because that bacteria relies on HMOs to thrive within the gut. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that I think that we're learning and we need to learn more about for our preterm babies is we know from many studies in preterm babies that their microbiome changes over time. And it really is dependent on their gestational age at birth and then their postnatal age over time. It's also dependent on, as we've talked about earlier, their mode of birth, the nutrition, and any other um, medications they may have been given. So I think that, and what our lab is trying to contribute to this um, with new science and new tools around developing um, a more specific approach to the use of probiotics. So for example, the probiotic cocktail that you may um, administer to a 27-weeker in the first week of life is probably meant to be very different than what you would administer to that same 27-weeker, you know, at eight weeks of life. The same is probably true for a baby at a greater gestational age at different points across their NICU journey. Um, we don't have the tools to direct that more um, targeted intervention, that more personalized approach, um, but I think that that's what we need in the NICU. Oftentimes, we tend to underappreciate gut health. Um, is there anything that you can add to this to maybe bring more awareness to gut health? Yeah, I really agree. I think I, of course, am totally fascinated by gut health and intestinal biology. Um, but I think in many areas of practice, we have underappreciated the importance of gut health um, to long-term outcomes. When you think about it, the gut is an organ that really serves two major purposes that are critically important in early life. First of all, it's an organ of digestion and absorption. And for our preemies, that is, and for any infant really, that is enormously important for uh, growth, development, and neurodevelopment throughout childhood. The second major thing that the gut does for us is it drives our immune system. It's easy to forget that the gut is the longest mucosal surface that interacts with the external environment. And so those early mucosal interactions um, certainly play a huge role in our adaptive immune system and then long-term immune health and inflammatory response. So all that being said, again, the NICU nurse in me thinks it's pretty crazy that we don't have a vital sign for the gut. Right? We think, well, the baby's pooping and we hear bowel sounds, no duskiness, must be fine. 
Um, and when you think about the importance of that organ and how, quite frankly, little information we have in our day-to-day -day practice, I think we have a real opportunity in research and in science to do more. Um, so one of the things that I really hope our lab can accomplish with collaborators is developing a vital sign for the gut. I envision that that would be based on data that we have in our EHR about nutrition and growth, antibiotic exposures, um, and then different signals from the gut itself, whether that's a biomarker that we measure in urine or stool or new information about the microbiome that can come together and tell us more about how the gut is doing over the course of the baby's time in the NICU. And, and so if we had such a thing, a vital sign for the gut, that may be the tool that we need to direct the, the microbial interventions I think we're all looking for in the NICU. Very true. I think that would help a lot of NICU nurses feel more comfortable when caring for this vulnerable population because we all know too often that can just happen very quickly and we need to be able to find those you know, small, minute signs that there might be something going on with our baby. Um, you know, we, we know we can predict things for um, respiratory status, cardiac status, because we have those vital signs. We have those invasive monitoring systems. But, you know, with the gut health, we just really don't have anything. So I hope yes. you can get something for us for our gut vital sign <laughs> that help us out. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's really very few, if any, other diseases we diagnose with just an x-ray. And that is the case right now with NEC. Some places are using ultrasound and that's working, but most centers today are still diagnosing NEC with, you know, just an x-ray, which is a pretty crude um, diagnostic tool when you think about it. Yep. And sometimes it's just a, a hunch by the nurse or the doctor that maybe there's something going on and, all right, yep. let's, let's get a film and there we go. So... <laughs> You got it. Yeah. Yep. So clearly a gap in our practice and, and one that I hope we can fill over the next uh, couple of years. All right. We'll keep our fingers crossed for you to do it. <laughs> Thanks. What do you think is important for neonatal nurses to know based on your research and how can they apply it to their everyday practice? Thanks for that great question, Jill. Um, I think a lot of what my research has taught us is um, to do the things that I think many centers are already doing. So first and foremost, um, strict attention to antibiotic stewardship. I think we know that um, the use of broad-spectrum antibiotics um, certainly has a place in preventing sepsis for some preterm babies, but not all. And the impact they have on the developing microbiome is, is not to be underestimated. The second thing is to optimize exposure to human milk. And NICU nurses, I think, do a great job of this in supporting moms in their lactation goals um, and also ensuring that when mom doesn't have um, enough breast milk to feed their baby, that donor milk policies are in place. And this has certainly been shown to improve health outcomes in preterm babies. Um, and then finally, I think when it comes to probiotics, um, I think... I hope our, my research has helped NICU nurses appreciate that while there is a place for these in the NICU, we need uh, additional tools to take a more specific and personalized approach to how we use uh, probiotics in the NICU. I think it's really important now to emphasize 
the essential role that a nurse had in this in this research. You know, this whole idea started with you as a bedside nurse questioning um, a practice in the NICU and, and why is this happening and what can we do to um, fix this or maybe find a way that we can um, figure out risk factors that would set a baby up for um, necrotizing enterocolitis. So, you know, it's very inspiring to hear how a nurse, bedside nurse, went and took a question and, and ran with it and now is in a lab researching this and finding this vital information that we can put into practice every day and eventually, you know, improve these outcomes for these babies and into the and way into the future and their and their gut health. Um, can you just kind of give um, some advice to like, a novice nurse would take and the steps that they could take to kind of um, fill your shoes and, and, and take the baton and try to, you know, go on with their uh, research question? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, um, Jill, because we definitely need more nurses to uh, fill our shoes. There's just no question. Um, I, so I think the first thing I would say is that I would never have been able to do anything that I've done today without my nursing practice. And what I continue to do is is really only because I had the privilege of taking care of babies as a NICU nurse um, at the bedside. And so for anyone who is, you know, in that role right now, um, consider that a wonderful opportunity to really build a scientific career on. Um, and so with that, I would say look to your practice and look to your patients to identify meaningful and important questions, which every single nurse has. Every single nurse in every area of practice knows what the important questions are, either to their practice or, more importantly, to their patient. Um, and then with those questions in mind, I would say, you know, start the journey. And the first part of that journey is finding mentors to help you. Um, no one can really do anything on their own in science, period. <laughs> Even today, um, I could never have done any of these studies without really a huge team of people from many, many different disciplines all working together um, to be able to answer a question. So the first thing is to find a mentor to help you and start to point you in that, in that right next direction. And then from there, there's training involved, right? You, your nurses make excellent scientists because they're curious and they understand process and the scientific method. But in order to really be able to conduct research, you need to get additional research training. So for me, that was a PhD. Um, and really moving through that training to be able to learn to conduct rigorous science, it's, it's really critically important. Um, now, that's a big step for a lot of people, and not everyone can do that right away. And that's completely reasonable and normal. And so there's a lot of baby steps you can take. So one thing people can do to get started is to collaborate with someone on a study or to support a study and that may be helping to collect data or maybe leading a journal club in your unit where you review the evidence for practice. Go to a conference or just take one class to see if you like um, developing these skills to be able to do research. So there's no wrong way to get started but I always say start by finding a mentor who can help you um, and start really thinking about the training that you would need to be able to go to the next step. That's really good advice. I think 
um, you know, everybody has a question. Everybody's questioning something. You know, you sit around the nurse's station. Everybody's complaining about something or why is the doctor doing this? Why do we do it this way? But, you know, it, it, there's ways that you can take those complaints and, and do something about it and, and change yeah. your practice and, and help these babies. So, you know, take that energy and, and like you said, go the next step. You can take baby steps, but, um, yeah. you know, it's possible. And you were very inspirational to a lot of people. I hope that, you know, to, to take those steps and to, you know, formulate those questions and find that mentor and, you know, really make change on their unit. So I thank you so much for sharing your research and sharing your work and your passion for gut health and, you. you know, yeah. and helping these babies. And, you know, it's our, our goal on, on Nancast is to, you know, educate people on up and coming topics and, and, you know, make sure that they're aware of what's going on. And, you know, it's, it was a pleasure having you to share that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jill. It was a great opportunity. I'm happy to talk with you anytime. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.